Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jarrell Mason, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me, I have an RB singer that's taking the world by storm, hailing from the Hoosier State. Shout out to all of the Hoosiers of Indiana, the Boilermakers of Purdue, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, the Bulldogs of Butler. You know what it is. Hoosier State basketball haven. And he's about to set the R&B world on fire or has been already. So, ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause to Beyond the Album Cover, Mr. Treshawn Johnson. Treshawn, welcome, bro. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That was a that was a great intro. Man, I appreciate it. And um, big ups to the professor for linking us up and uh, making this interview happen. What up, professor? Absolutely. Thanks, Rashawn. Yeah, he's he's dope. He's really been supporting me and my career journey a lot. So shout out to him. Yeah, for sure. And you can definitely check out the Professor's Lounge and uh, you can hit him up for more info about it and also catch his two interviews with me. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Like I mentioned in the intro that you're from Indiana and we know Indiana as a hoops hotbed with high school basketball, you know, the movie Hoosiers depicted that, uh, the big O, Oscar Robinson Uh over at Christa Addis High School and I believe Indianapolis, Gary, Indiana, of course, Freddie Gibbs, Jackson 5, Denise Wims, uh, the Powell siblings, Jesse, Trina, Tamara, and we can go on and off all the great things that came out of the Hoosier State. Of course, Babyface, can't forget Babyface and Melvin and Kavon and all of that. So what led you wanting to go into the R&B route and how you're trying to shake the narrative of Indiana only being known for hoops. Um, R&B has just really been basically the catalyst for me to just really go into this world. Uh, I, my mom and my dad, they're huge R&B lovers. They have been listening to it, the music since before I was born, obviously. And I just remember listening to, um, records from Stevie Wonder, from, you know, um, Luther Vandross, uh, Tony Braxton, Mary J. Blige, like all, like I remember at three years old, the first song I remember singing vividly is um, I'm Going Down, uh, which was the cover that Mary J. Blige did, but I I was singing her interpretation of it. And ever since then, I just knew that music was something that was a part of me. Um, And yeah, my parents have, they've realized that I could sing early on. And that's just been something that I've been fighting for and pursuing since then. Mm, so with them realizing that you had a gift at an early age, did you get put into the talent show circuit, doing talent shows, cutting your teeth and doing the national mm-hmm. anthem at school games and things of that nature? Yeah, a little bit of that. Uh, but mostly it was mostly church. I sang at church like we had a, we went to a small church in northern Indiana where Notre Dame is, South Indiana. Um, and I remember being shy and had to go up on stage when I was like a few, like five or six years old. And I sang in front of a lot of people and I was intimidated by it, but they enjoyed it. And ever since then, I'm like, OK, I like how this feels. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of that. And also just me um, pursuing that later on in life as well, going into competitions and starting groups and all that, which we'll get more into later. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you mentioned church. Do you remember what your first solo was? Um, 
I don't remember exactly which song I sang first. Um, we, we didn't have a choir. We did have a worship team, though. Um, and I just sang by myself. And I just remember singing only a few seconds. It might have been Jesus Loves Me. That might have been what I sang. And I just remember they enjoyed it. And, yeah, I, I, it really was good affirmation for me. Mm -hmm. And you know how it is with church, they got the youth choir and you got your few kids that get highlighted for the church show, solo <laughs> and the youth choir director probably say, baby, go ahead and do good and I slide you an extra piece of Werber's Originals or Peppermint or an extra plate from the after service dinner <laughs> at the fellowship hall. Yeah, um, you know, we, we, we had definitely some interesting church characters like everybody does every everybody knows how it is uh you know the aunts the grandmothers the sisters all that uh but yeah it was definitely a family and they they definitely all supported it it um try to nurture my my gift um and that really does make a huge difference right and then i mentioned earlier at the top of the intro, some of the musical acts that came out of Indiana, like the Jacksons, the Powell siblings, Denise Williams, Freddie Gibbs, the Edmonds uh -huh. brothers, and we can go on and on. So how did those acts influence you in saying like, man, if they can make it out of Indiana, I know I can. Well, I think, you know, the, how they influenced me is that never gave up like they you know they, there was no guarantee even back then you know like a lot of them come from you know humble beginnings I mean you had 13 family members in Jackson household in a small two-bedroom house and they you know that family is one of the most iconic families to ever exist on this earth because of the hard work that they that you know that they had put into what they were doing and also just like you know their father uh, joe jackson really pushing them i know he pushed them harder <laughs> than they probably wish he would have but like it made them who they are today um and I, that just really inspired me because you know people think there's just basketball and corn and racing in indiana but there's a lot of musical talent here i'm friends with a lot of talented artists and it really does surprise people when they hear how talented some of these people are i mean one of my favorite people from the city obviously is um the legendary babyface himself who i really want to meet um because he, he's inspired me as a songwriter as a creator because he has told stories with his art and has really been able to tell stories for other artists and have them interpret those stories that he's written for them and that that's really hard to do because sometimes people don't know how to interpret that vision that you were trying to lay out for them but he he does a great job of that you know he's done it for Tony Braxton he's he's done it for Tevin Campbell Boyce and Men he's done it for so many people and you know that's kind of what I want to do with my career further down the road. Mm -hmm. And I also believe John Cougar Mellencamp is from Indiana as well. Yeah, I do believe that's true. Mm -hmm. And um, also we have Funny Man, Mike Epps from Indianapolis. And now there's this big event that takes place in Indianapolis uh -huh. every year. It's called the Circle City Classic, I believe, correct? Yeah, 
That is absolutely correct. And fun facts, this this is real. Three days ago, Mike Epps came to my job. <laughs> I just saw Mike Epps three days ago at my job. Yeah, and I it's so funny. I work with a lot of uh, white people. I, I'm a um, supervisor in my full-time job at uh, Starbucks. And... I was like, hey, you guys know that that's Mike Epps, right? And they're like, who's that? Like, <laughs> and like, I, I work with another black person. He was on his break, but he saw, he was like, yeah, that's Mike Epps. That what, like, we were both so like in awe, like, what the, what the heck, what are you doing here? We knew he was from here, but yeah, he was there with his, his, uh, I, I want to say youngest daughter. And yeah, I just, yeah, I think he's in town for the events going on. So yeah, I, I, it's funny that, and what I like about that with Mike Epps is that he, he never forgets where he came from. He always comes back to his city and, and, you know, puts into it. Right. And I do reside in New Mexico. Now I'm originally from North Carolina and I saw a video about uh, a year or so ago that uh, Mike Epps was in Jackson, North Carolina, which is about 45, 50 minutes from where I grew up. And it uh -huh. turns out that his father was from Jackson, North Carolina, lived there before moving to the Midwest in Indiana. And I was yeah. like, oh, I never knew that. Yeah, it's it's just, it's a small it's a smaller world than we think sometimes. But um, yeah, I just thought like that was one of the most cool experiences, just running into somebody who was a, a world renowned comedian, somebody who was still active in their career. You know, just casually coming to a Starbucks, just getting a drink. He didn't even, you know, he wasn't. He was wearing a Versace jumpsuit, but he wasn't. If any, if people didn't know who he was, he wouldn't have like been. It would have been like, oh, he's a celebrity, you know. What I'm saying he he wasn't presenting himself that way. Right, you knew he had money based on the appearance, but personality and demeanor, you wouldn't knew that he was this mega superstar. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm, and we mentioned the Circle City Classic earlier. Can we talk about the significance yeah. of that event and what it means for Black folks in and around Indiana? Um, it's a celebration. Uh, we get really excited uh, when we have the Circle City Classic, the Black Expo, uh, which was earlier this year. Um, it's just, we don't get to have a lot of space to celebrate it blackness um we're getting more and more um but i think you know it, you can never have too many is what I, basically what i want to say and, and, and the circle city classic brings us together it allows us to remember our culture and what it really means and 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 how we can celebrate and show other people our home this is what we have and what we are proud of and what we you know of the reasons why we celebrate um, I mean, it's, it's just great. You see a lot of people come together, you know, they dress up, they, they go and celebrate downtown, they go to the football game, they eat good food. You know, it's just, it's just great to see that because, you know, there's obviously a, a different depictions of what blackness is in this country. Mm -hmm. Little bit of a fun fact, little bit of a fun fact that uh, speaking of black culture, that Indiana University okay. is the founding school of where the fraternity Kappa Alpha Psi was first born. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep. So shout out to all the BGLOs out there and of course, non-BGLOs alike. Now you went to Purdue University, correct? For undergraduate, am I correct? Yes, I did. All right. So go Boilermakers. So what was that like going into a PWI, for those who don't know, predominantly white institution, and trying to get that a different world, HBCU-like space in the Midwest where you kind of really don't have that feel unless you go to the HBCUs down south? Um, I, I definitely felt a lot of like a fish out of water. And because so, uh, I had grown up um, going to mostly mixed schools, like, you know, the, I, I went to schools that were, were, you know, there's white people, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, like it was, it was a good mixture usually, or I was around a lot of black people, which I was fine with too. But going to a predominantly white school, um, really like it was, it was a culture shock. Um, you know, I, I know Indiana is predominantly white in general, but when you have been in the university, or I mean, in, in classrooms where you were the only black person, it definitely, it definitely is an eye opener. Um, and a lot of the people that I went to school with would tell you, the black people, um, would tell you that when we see black other black people on campus, that was like a sigh of relief. Like, you know, we got excited, you know, um, to answer your question. Um, I, I think there's definitely a more, uh, there should be more of a push for um, diversity and um, those institutions. Uh, I know Purdue says that they have that and that they're fighting for that, but sometimes it feels like the opposite. Um, I will say that the majority of the Divine Nine um, organizations have have grown substantially since I started at Purdue and to now. I know that there, I think at least eight of the organizations are active on campus. I could be wrong. But um, yeah, that makes a difference because that, that, that gives incoming Black freshmen you know, something to look forward to, like, oh, I can still do this. And the biggest thing that I, I'm fighting for with Purdue is getting them, getting these fraternities and sororities, these Black organizations, houses, because there are houses for all of the white organizations on campus, but the Black organizations don't have them. And they, they say it's because, you know, alumni, they don't get to uh, donate, as much or whatever, or, you know, but I think that the institution can do a lot better with supporting, with funding for that, because that's a staple for Black people. Those, those organizations are a staple. Right, definitely a safe haven and Purdue University, very well-known, well-renowned school, legendary basketball mm -hmm. coach, Gene Cady, Glenn, Big yeah. Dog, Robinson, another Gary Indiana product. I believe he was the number one draft pick in the 94 draft and recently retired yeah. Drew Brees, played at Purdue. And yes. like I said, overall, great school. And they claim to have the world's biggest drum. And I guess they're in a big battle with Texas trying to see whose drum is bigger. I've seen the drum. It's really big. I've seen it in a person. Like, it's bigger than I am. But, I mean, we'll see who wins. I mean, I know that um, the thing about Hoosiers, um, you know, or, or just like in general, Boilermakers, we're very competitive. Um, 
So I, I don't I don't see us going down without a fight. But at the end of the day, um, I think it's awesome, you know, just to see, you know, just just people having pride in, in their 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 alma maters. Mm-hmm. And like I said, high school basketball is something serious in Indiana. They pack out, they show out for their basketball, right. just like how Cali, Texas, and Florida do for the Friday Night Lights and high school football. Now, your time at Purdue, did you get yourself involved in any singing groups, perform solely for different events, or join an acapella group to really hone your singing skills? Oh, that's a good question. I, I've done quite a few of those. I, I was um, in a group that we had, a, um, we have what is called the Black Cultural Center at Purdue, um, where I joined the group known as the Black Voices of Inspiration. Um, I, one of my friends that I met um, at, at one of the, um, our, our living quarters, our, 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 what's it called? Our dormitory. Yeah. Our dormitory that I, I saw him playing on the piano and he was playing a song and I just started singing it. Um, and he was like, Hey, you should join this uh, choir that I'm in. And I joined it with him. I, I, I checked it out and, and I loved it. Um, and we sang all over the uh, state. Uh, we did uh, productions. We did gospel um, songs. We did co- gospel concerts. It, it was just, I, it taught me a lot about singing and my voice and how to do dynamics, how to project, how to, you know, just place everything, uh, which I think with choir, it, it, you know, in music theory and all that, it's very important that you know the nuances when it comes to that. I also did um, an R&B group there too. Um, you know, we did, that was short-lived, but we, we definitely have fun. We did shows at the, uh, across the university as well. Um, I also did something called Friday Night Funk Out, where me and some of the singers within that um, group and also uh, part of the Black Cultural Center, we would get with a live band and perform covers of songs in, 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 in a show format we would put that together and do it on like a, a, like a Friday that we thought was good. And actually the, the uh, Black Cultural Center helped fund that. Um, and look, we would, let's just say we would, say, we would perform songs like um, Never Too Much by Luther Vandross, you know, up until, you know, Bruno Mars, uh, Uptown Funk. We did all of that, all, all of that. And we covered a wide variety of different songs. So to answer your question, there was, there was just, for Purdue not to be a musical school, we made sure that musical music was definitely prevalent there because there was a lot of students that some of them were majoring in biology, some of them were ma- majoring in sports medicine, but we made sure that on Friday night or Sunday morning, we were singing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, what did you end up getting your degree in at Purdue? Um, computer graphics technology. Okay, computer graphics technology. Now with Purdue and I mentioned Notre Dame, Indiana, Butler, some of the other colleges and universities in the state, um, were there some networking amongst the black students amongst those different schools? Also can't forget uh, Indiana State and Ball State out in Muncie. Was there networking between some of the black students at those institutions or was it more Uh insulated? Uh, to a degree, I think, you know, when it came to big events, people would go uh, to other um, college towns. And like, you know, I know 
IU has the big five. Um, and during that time, a lot of the students will go there and like, you know, the, the fraternities and sororities will host events and all that. Um, but, and I think, yeah, to it, yeah, people would network and, and get together uh, because like, we all have different things to offer. And, 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 the, and if you go through college, you should be networking. You should be making sure that you have contacts that could help you in the future or you could help them. It's, that's, that's the beauty of it. And that's what, what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, I think um, to a degree that, that definitely was something that we were doing. Yep. And Indiana State, home of Larry Legend, AKA number 33, AKA Larry Bird, AKA the, uh -huh. hick, the hick from French Lick and also Ball yes. State home of future, future TV legend, David Letterman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Indiana has had a lot of people uh, who are high profile that come in and out. <laughs> yes. Yes. They, yes, they do. And I want to go into who were some of the artists that influenced you as a singer and as a performer and you, and you can give them in no particular order um well my all-time favorite vocalist is Luther Vandross um I just love how he could keep things simplistic but tell so much of the story and have you emotionally invested in what he was singing um also love Stevie Wonder his voice is just incredible and unique um I love Babyface, as I as I told you that that he's one of my all time favorite songwriters, as well as Neo Tank. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of their work. Um, I, I just love singer songwriters. I love people who can you know also tell a story with their voice. Like I love Mariah Carey's voice. I think she's amazing. Um, I think Whitney Houston had the best voice of all time. Um, you know, Patty LaBelle. I can go on, as you can see, and I'm naming some legends, but I just I just love how you can tell a story with your voice. And which I feel like is very important. It's something that should be more prevalent in music today because people want to hear stories. You know, they want to be, they want to feel something, they want to emote. And I think that when you are, are an artist, you can you can capture an emotion within your music and we with the, the inflections of your voice, that's going to capture your audience even more. Mm -hmm. And in doing both primarily gospel and R&B, what did you notice is, has been the main difference vocally? Because as you know, gospel singing is different from R&B singing because gospel is all about really overselling, over emoting. But when you're doing R&B, you got to kind of sort of dial it in a bit and not go as like, ah! like you were. Right, right. I think gospel is, yeah, it's more about the power and just, you know, the, 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 the dramatics um, whereas R&B, there's more subtleties. You don't have to follow a certain template. You just, it's a feeling. Um, and, I, and I just think, you know, um, I mean, they both intertwine, obviously. A lot in the majority of the R&B singers that have come past and present have sang gospel music. Uh, I, I definitely feel like R&B comes, it's just a different place that you sing from and more about, emotionally connecting to that song mm -hmm. and what is it that you think it is about the midwest 
and the reason that it has had so much influence in terms of music, like I mentioned, all the acts that came out of Indiana. Then, of course, you got all the funk acts out of Cincinnati and Dayton, everything that was coming out of Minnesota with Prince, The Time, uh, The Revolution, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Detroit, Motown, Michigan, yeah. you know, Ready for the World out of Flint. Dream Boy out of Oak Park. Yeah. So what is it that you think it is about your region of the country that had its, has its tentacles all in the music industry and still the, its influence is still felt to this day? Right. Um, I think it's because we feel like we have so much to prove even now. I mean, obviously Motown, as you mentioned, and a lot of, you know, the Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, you mentioned so many legendary names um, and we still sometimes feel overlooked in the Midwest. Specifically, I know I can talk about Indianapolis. Like we, well, we talk about this all the time, me and my good friends who are artists, that there are people who expect you to be in Atlanta or LA or New York City if you are going to be somebody who is a high profile artist or you're going to make it to that next stage. But as you see, some of the most legendary people came from small towns here in the Midwest. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that speaks volume. And I just think it's a different type of hunger and passion, you know? I mean, there's not as much to do up here. It's cold. So we're going to learn sing. We're going to harmonize. We're going to go perform. And I think that's just what it is. We just, you know, Prince is from Minnesota. Like, you know, like there's, we, it's, it snows, it gets up to three feet of snow in the winter. But, you know, that's one of the most iconic musical figures that we can ever think of. So to your, to your uh, question, I think we just have so much to prove. And, you know, our talent is a product of not just how talented we are, but the work that we put in to make sure that our talent is showcased. Right. And like you said, it snows a good chunk of the year. So you got a basement, you got an attic and you can really hone your craft because nobody's trying to go outside in three plus foot of snow. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because uh, you got your shovels and you not trying to sit outside for five plus hours, shovel snow. Or if you're a young kid, you get that little side hustle, a um. I'll shovel your driveway, I'll scrape the ice off your window, and I'll warm your car up for a small fee. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely a, a way to come up there. So what was the process for you in doing your current project, and how do you think you have grown as an artist from your initial project up to now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I wanted to be more vulnerable. I wanted to be more real with this project. Um, my first project, I uh, pretty much, you know, just kind of went with it. I'm like, okay, let me just do some songs that sound good. And they, they sound great. And I love my first project. Um, my very first single I released in, I want to say 2019 in June. Um, and then my second single, um, well, my first single was Make It Better. My sec second single was Strip, which I released in uh, September. Um, and I um, just was like formulating, for, trying to find a sound that like worked for me. Um, but by the time I got to my second project, I felt like 
I already knew what the sound was going to be. Uh, I had my first single chose before I even had like half the album like fleshed out. Like I just knew what what it was going to be, and I I knew I wanted to, to like I said earlier like I love telling stories, and I think that that's very important in music um, to tell these stories. Um, I, I've touched on things like you know I feel like as men sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable. Sometimes it's hard to show you know. The, the side of people uh, yourself that people don't get to see every day I wanted to show that in my music this time um and you know one of my favorite songs from the album Eclipse um is my song Walk Away where I'm talking about how I basically messed up in a relationship and I want you to stay here I want I don't want I don't want you to leave like I, I that's my like me begging and pleading and that's my you know kind of like me wanting to just hold on to that, even though I don't deserve it. So it's just one of those things, like basically um, you know, wanting to tell a story with my music and also show different sides of who I am as an artist. And I think with this project, I did that and I wanted to continue to evolve. Um, I, want, I want to continuously, continually evolve. Um, and I feel like I did that from this last project because they sound very different, um, but they also, uh, I think, are a great representation of me. Mm. Now, what is your songwriting process? Does melody come first, bridge come first, chorus, verses, or do you have a skeleton track of the instrumental and you let it sit for a bit, then try to write? Um, I'm not as formulaic as... A lot of people are, I know some people are different. Like I know Neo can sit down, get a melody, write some lyrics, have a song out of 10 minutes. And I've done it that way too. Um, but I like to just really think about things. Like what, do, like I think what, what, it, what comes first for me is subject matter. What do I want to talk about? What story do I want to tell? That's how I approach my songwriting. Um, with, you know, my, my first single, I remember hearing the beat uh, my first single for this project, Certified, I remember hearing the beat uh, from my producer, uh, Wonderboy, uh, shout out to him, Mike, Michael Busby. Um, he played this record for me and was like, yeah, it's kind of a club beat. I don't know what you could do with it. I, I think it's more suited for a rapper. I was like, okay, I got you. And I started like hearing the melody in my head and then just started writing the lyrics down. And next thing you know, I had that written and I was like, this is my first single. And I and I and I didn't even know what I wanted the, the entire album to sound like, but I knew that I wanted that to be my first single, and it just kind of all shaped around that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely try different methods with my songwriting. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, I want it to be organic, and I don't want it to feel forced because I know with this industry, because of the demand, sometimes you feel like you have to write so many songs and some uh, in, in a certain amount of time. But I like to take my time. Um, it took me roughly seven months to finish this album, um, which is pretty quick by industry standards. Um, um, but uh, for like an you know, independent artist, well, actually, though, know, it, it's not that. I mean, but it, it took me long. It didn't take me as long as I thought it would have taken. Mm -hmm. 
and you mentioned how you're very big on how the song feels and content matter. And I hearken back to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and how they construct a lot of their material for the artists that they're working with, where it's like a custom-made suit where what sound and songs work for Alexander O'Neill necessarily won't work for Janet or New Edition or SOS band. It's catered specifically to them and we got to know who they are and find material that they can relate to so that way it can come across better and i hear that same approach when you talk about finding material for yourself that speaks to you and only you mm-hmm. absolutely yep and that is the way to be because if you try to fit into what the industry says then you're gonna be climbing up boo boo creek without a paddle because it's a tricky balance between uh creativity and commercial commerce because you want to make material that is authentic to you but at the same time labels are all about making money and it's all about selling because you think about how big of a risk it was once again staying on jamie lewis for Janet to do Rhythm Nation when AM was expecting her to pump out another control because control made them a whole lot of money. And there was a three year gap between control and Rhythm Nation. And you were able to milk three years off of one album and to say, no, I want to go in a totally different direction. Talk about social issues, racial issues. And most labels, unless you are independent and very artist centric, or very risk averse to something that's not going to probably be a viable commercial hit. So how do you try to balance that where you have creativity in your music, but at the same time, know it's all about making money and about supposedly going commercial or the crossover as EPMD would say. Well, I look at artists like Michael and Janet that what, what I love about both of them is they had audacity. They, refused to go with whatever they were told to go with. Like they wanted to use their platforms to touch on racial injustice, to to touch on HIV and AIDS, to touch on, you know, discrimination of any sorts. Um, And I think especially in the time period that they were doing it and it like people were like, oh my goodness, what, what are they talking about? Like, you know, even when the song they did together, Scream, when you think about the lyrics, what they were saying, they were calling some stuff out. And, you know, these execs so like that, that that's scary to them like that. But you know, that's when Michael and Janet, they didn't, they, they, they knew that what they were gonna do was gonna be great and it was gonna be successful. But it wasn't for that. It was for the messaging. And with that, I think um with my music, I want to tell the stories that I want to tell. But at the same time, I do understand that there is a commercial component and we have to sell records. We have to do things. So what I do is if it sounds good, it feels good. And I feel like I'm talking about something. That's what I know. That's Mm -hmm. usually what I know. And, you know, I, I would love for one of my records to break nationally or to for someone who is like a Jason Derulo or, you know, or whoever to hear my record. And they were like, I want that record, you know, 
Uh, just because I'm a businessman at the end of the day. I, I don't mind if I, there's a song that I'm, I'm about to put out and they so happen to hear it or if there are people happen to get a hold of it. Because that happens all the time. So I mean, look at, um, you know, Tiny and Candy from Escape. You know, they wrote No Scrubs for themselves. And, you know, somehow um, TLC got a hold of it. Of course, the rest is history. That, that became their record their, and their biggest record. Um, so with that being said, I think, um, what record example, record labels, um, like is when something is like lighting in the jar, it comes out of nowhere. Um, and that, that hit, even though it's commercial, it stands out. And that, that's one of those songs, those scrubs is one of those songs that stands the test of time. It, 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 there's no other record like it. Right, and uh, you mentioned Janet Jackson. She got a an exclusive documentary that'll be dropping January of next year, and definitely looking forward uh-huh. to that because it has rare, never before seen private personal video footage and interviews with people such as Missy Elliott, Mariah Carey, uh, some of the mm-hmm. rest of the Jackson family members, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, so on and so forth. But another mm-hmm. artist we mentioned earlier, uh, Prince, he did did not care about being commercial or not because after purple rain hit he was already on to around the world in a day and he was an exact nightmare because he's like i'm not going to conform to you you're going to conform to me whether you like it or not i'm not going to do a purple rain europe tour just because you say so i'm going to put out what i'm going to put out and the big thing i'm going to own my stuff yeah i i think that's important and he change the landscape of things because I think what artists like that do is they give power to other artists because before them, before the Janets, the Michaels, the Princes, um, labels were running amok and they still do. But like, I don't think artists virtually had any control prior to those artists owning their masters, owning all the rights to their music, making sure that they are secure financially so that they don't go into debt and so that they they're not you know selling millions of records and they don't even get have a penny to show for it Mm -hmm. yeah sam cook was on his way to doing that with uh star publishing and Mm -hmm. and we we knew what happened to sam cook after that but then the late the record industry has always been kind of a setup for the labels to make money and the artists to be the last to get paid or you trading your royalties and publishing for upfront money and a Cadillac. Cause Mariah Carey talked about in her autobiography that when she initially signed her record deal to Columbia, that they wanted her to take the upfront money in exchange for forfeiting publishing and royalties and she refused and as you can see she's still caking off her christmas song 20 plus years later all right i i tell people all the time i know they get annoyed by all i want for christmas is you but just think that mariah carey could sit at home for the rest of the year and still make money like who wouldn't want that <laughs> mm-hmm. industry you know? rule number four thousand and eighty. record company people are shady Rest in peace, Vice. Yeah. 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 I got to I got to I got to I got to throw, throw throw that in there and I want to go to this part right here 
And uh, we mentioned Babyface, mentioned Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. In your opinion, what are some of the similarities and the differences between LA and Babyface's writing production style to Jam and Lewis? I think they all obviously knew how to pick hits. They all knew what was the hit and what was suitable for certain artists. Um, I think the difference might come and I think that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were probably a little bit more formulaic with how they did things because uh, they they just came in, they were ready, they had everything set up uh, and the artist pretty much laid down the vocals and that was it. Um, I think with uh, Babyface, to my knowledge, he shopped records around a little bit more than they did, but it seemed like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, they knew who was going to have which record more so than, you know, the affirmation uh, LA of uh, Babyface. Baby yeah, because Babyface, he just put out almost a year ago uh, original demo of him doing rock steady before it got cut for the whispers nice yeah and i was like man I, it, it sounded so good i'm like man you should have just kept it for yourself but babyface right like neo and a lot of prolific songwriters they could have songs flowing like the river now and it'll be a hit mm -hmm. exactly and like and he sometimes still leaves his uh, vocals on tracks he's done it for tony braxton um, you know, I hear him on the backgrounds of I Get So High or You're Making Me High um, and, you know, other songs as well. Um, and I think that that's really cool. Like, and I, that's one thing I loved about the 90s. Like, that was there was a trend to have the songwriters or other artists uh, on the background vocals. That doesn't happen as much nowadays. But there was just like, it, it gave it a fuller sound and it made it sound like a bigger record, in my opinion. Mm, and we mentioned 90s R&B and everything that came out of the Midwest, but also at the same time, Midwest hip hop really came through and blew up big time. Like you had uh, Do or Die, Twister, Common Sense, mm -hmm. uh, his former name now known as Common, Crucial Conflict, mm -hmm. Kanye, The Brat, Nelly. Mm -hmm. And can we just talk about that whole Midwest hip hop movement and really putting the Midwest on the map, of course, and can't forget Eminem, What's the Five Nine, right. uh, Trick Trick, Big Sean, mm -hmm. all those guys out to right. do. I think Midwest rap has really shown that they are contenders. You know, I, I, I mean, obviously, we know in the 90s, uh, there was the West East Coast versus West Coast. Uh, and the, the South came and they're like, let us get a piece. And then they're like, they're like okay, the, the cats up North got to get their piece too in the Midwest. So I, I just think, you know, what I love about our different regions, so we all have our own style. We all have our own. I think with with um, with, with the Midwest, it's a more focus on, um, on artistry and lyrics that are thought provoking or you know telling these stories like because like there's a lot of stories to be told in these people's lives you know when well, like I said when you have nothing to do when it's snowing outside you could write lyrics you could write stories you could you know draw or whatever and I think a lot of these rappers or these hip-hop artists legends have 
done a lot of that. Um, I look at Kanye West, despite what people feel about him and his personal life right now, he's a genius. He is one of the most creative people that have ever graced this industry. Um, he could take a sample and, and deconstruct it and reconstruct it to sound like a completely different song. And that's crazy that, that he has that gift, but that is definitely a, a testament to how things are in the Midwest and how artistry is a little approached a little bit differently here for us. Right. And also got to mention Bone Thugs out of Ohio and yeah. the list goes on and on. But, with, but speaking of Kanye, uh, there's a YouTube video showing him chopping up uh, Go On Without You by Shirley Murdoch and mm -hmm. producing it. And that ended up going to Do or Die. And I saw that because I'm like, man, this dude's going to be something. But when I first heard Champions of the Dream Team mixtape, I played that record back to back. Because yeah. first off, I was like, who had the knowledge to sample Queen? And the way he flipped it was so dope. And his rhyme right. style was so unlike anything that was going on at the time that set a lot of anticipation for when he released College Dropout. It, yeah, it did. It he... Like, I remember hearing about him before, even, like, like through the wire, um, before he had gotten to the accident. Um, I just I just remember hearing murmurings about him, how he, you know, was producing for Alicia Keys. He produced uh, some of the album, or some on her album, the Diary album, he produced on that. And um, You Don't Know My Name is actually one of the songs that he produced. And just, like, the sample that he used in that, it's just, like, it's just like so like cool and vibey and eerie at the same time. But it just like, it goes to show that like how his mind is just like so good at like making sounds come together that don't always necessarily go together, but really sound great together. Mm -hmm. And I uh, got to mention Rhyme Fest, uh, Lupe Fiasco yeah. for sure. Yes. Can't forget Lupe. Chance, Chance the Rapper. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the Midwest, yeah. definitely power players in the music industry. So talk to us about your current project and the lead single that you have currently. Um, like I mentioned, uh, Eclipse is the title of the album. Uh, the concept that I came up with is basically, you know, solar eclipses are symbolic for a new change. Um, and I wanted to people to, to see a huge contrast from what I did on my last project to what I'm doing now. Um, and I think the music really reflects that. Certified, uh, which is my lead single, it's, it's definitely a club banger. It definitely gets people going and dancing. Um, like I said, I wrote that song um, with my producer and it just, it made sense to be my first single. It just it just had that vibe and that, that sound. I'm like, I, I have to come out swinging. And that was the perfect one um, to come out singing with. Uh, it features uh, Billy Jean, who was a rapper from uh, Northern Indiana, really dope lyricist as well. You know, very good with his wordplay. Um, we shot a video. We have a music video out right now on YouTube. You all can see it. Um, it's really good. I, I love the video. I was very satisfied. Shot by Idea Media, who was a married couple out from Northern Indiana. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, but yeah, they they did a great job shooting that. Um, and yeah, I think my whole album, top to bottom, you know, I'm, I'm I'm biased, but I think it really it really holds up. I really love enjoy listening to it. Um, and 
yeah, there's some songs on there that really really tell a different story of what I feel in day to day. I might listen to one song versus another song, and I think each of them kind of are like the the this is it's the soundtrack of my life right now. And where can people find the album? Uh, it's on all platforms. Uh, you can get it on Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, um, you know, all of them, even uh, Tidal. You know, like I think it's on all of those. Uh, and I, I, I definitely want to continue to push this album and make sure that more people listen to it because it's, to me, this is some of my best work. And I know artists say that all the time when they get a new album, but this is definitely my best work to date. Right, definitely check it out on all streaming platforms. Check the video out on his official YouTube. And I want to get you out of here on this question. You mentioned Deezer, Spotify, and Tidal. How do you think the way you promote as an artist has changed thanks to social media and the internet and how now you got to constantly stay in someone's face because if you're not constantly cranking out content, you risk having the next big thing come out and overriding your wave and how do you balance putting out something that's good to you and for you and not for the sake of just putting out content just for the sake of because you're afraid of missing out on your wave when someone else is coming along and can instantly put something on social media come up overnight success and and not be of the best quality in the world um I just think you have to, you know, trust yourself, but also have a team around you that's going to be honest with you. Like I had like my producer, my one of my best friends who's an artist as well. I talked to him. I, I, I literally like, you know, I know people like to keep things under lock and key. And as artists, you want to be smart in how you uh, navigate when it comes to a release or something that you're working on. But I, I'll literally, if I cut some vocals for a song and I'm, uh, considering it for a single, I'll send it to um, back, send back the, the you know the rough version to my producer, to my friend, to other people, and I'm like, so what do you guys think about it? They're like, oh, I like that one, or they'll be honest with they'll be like, I don't think that's gonna work for what you're trying to do, and then we'll go in a different direction. But I think you just have to, you know, trust you and the people around you, but also know that um, if you're if you do your due diligence, if you work hard at promoting and, and you're talking to the right people, whether you have a, a, a social media manager or you have people who are just trying to work at, and it's, it's a, it promotes you, um, you're, it's going, something's going to give. Like, and, I, and I think um, instant gratification is something that we all strive for. Um, and the people are going to give you that. I think you just have to be willing to spend money um, as an artist, that's that's what it comes down to. I think independent artists, we get scared to spend money, but that's how you're going to make money. Um, you know, through this promotion, like it's mo- like I, I tell people all the time, it's mostly the business. Like I, I didn't know that until getting into this. It is mostly the business aspect that really gets you going because people aren't going to care if they don't see you on like the bigger playlist or they don't see you doing the huge numbers of streams. Because, you know, you're not visible to them. But if you're active on social media and you're promoting your stuff or you're getting 
because uh, you can email streaming services, specifically Spotify, and I would like to get on this playlist. What do, what do I need to do to get on this playlist? And they'll help you. They'll get you around the right people. And I think if you can um, do those things, it really sets you up for success and allows for your audience to grow. Mm, it's 10% show, 90% business. You got to pay to play, scare money, don't make money. And not everybody can be like a Jay-Z, Beyonce, Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, where Nas, where you can drop a project when you feel like it, go for long stretches and people will wait for you. So that's where I feel a lot of the younger artists feel like they have to constantly crank that out because they're not at that rare area yet where I can just drop something when I feel like it. I mean, how big was it for Nas on King Disease 2 to get Miss Lauren Hill to come out of hiding? Right. That is a huge deal, you know. Um, and obviously, she if she doesn't know, she should know that how important she is to um, to the culture because people still sing uh, do Up That Thing or, you know, X Factor. You know, like those are basically the cornerstones within R&B, you know, those, those records. Um, and I think that she uh, really has been missed. I know she's taken time off for personal reasons and had a lot going on in her life. And I, and I, I understand that's none of our business, but I just love just how... Her, 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 just how how her music just really just resonates with us, and how it it just it just really makes you happy to be black, and makes you happy to 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 be a be an R&B lover. Like she just has that, and she tells some good stories. She tells, you know, makes good like records for people who to to know the 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 the, the, the disparities that we have as men and women, and how you know, that could really play into things with, with do off that thing, but like also X Factor, how she was vulnerable and honest about a relationship and everything like that, or nothing even matters, or, you know, the list goes on. But I think, uh, I think Nas coming out with that project really uh, was a good setup to get her back. If she chooses to come back, it was a good setup to get her back into the fold because there's nobody like Laura Hill. There will never be another Laura Hill. She's the only one and I think that we need some something like that because the music industry is very different and I think we do best when we have variety right definitely a buffet of this is what you like this is what you like dig in sample it and let the chips fall where they may and to quote fat joe yesterday's price is not today's price and please anybody out there Make this JD and Puff versus battle happen. I don't care if Puff said, JD, nah, your arms are too short to box with me. You can't hang with me. I want to personally see this versus battle between JD and Puff. But Puff was on Fat Joe's uh, show just recently on social media. And he was talking his talk and said, get Dre on the phone. Yes, that Dre, the D-R-E from the West Side. I definitely feel like JD does have a leg to stand on, of course, because I mean, look at his, look at his career, the tenure of his career, like when he like he started a label from nothing, you know, he really 
was one of the young pioneers in the 90s to really get things going. And I mean, look what he's done for Mariah's career, you know. Um, with that being said, I would love to see a versus between Diddy and JD because I feel like they parallel very well. Like, I don't think Dre and P. Diddy parallel, I, I, aside from the Pac and Biggie thing, I don't think they parallel as well as JD's and Puffy's does because they both had hip hop acts, they both had R&B acts, you know, they both groups. Like, I, I, I mean, we just had Jagged Edge versus 112. So it would only be right to have Diddy versus JD. Mm -hmm, for sure. And another versus that I really want to see, Cash Money versus No Limit. Give me that. Yes. Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, the, 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 the things with these versus battles, which they've been great for the culture, I think it's important for the artists to have some commonality, for them to have be attached in some way or have parallel careers. I mean, like a basis... Brandy and Monica that made sense you know it made sense with this you know with um Escape versus SWB it made sense with uh Gladys versus um uh Patti LaBelle and recently Fat Joe versus uh Ja Rule like it just it makes sense and I think I, I hope that uh Diddy changed his mind but um I wondered I would love to see which I know Mary just said that she don't want to do it, but Mary J. Blige versus Tony Braxton. I think that that would be another good one. Hmm. Hmm. That, that would be a good one. And then also, I just saw the Fat Joe Jaru versus, and I think a lot of people were seriously sleeping on how huge Jaru and Murder Inc. was. Think about it. He was fire. Ashanti was white hot. And Murder Inc. and Jaru were killing the game before that raid that uh the fbi did and then 50 cent came in mm -hmm. and destroyed jar rule and he was probably yeah. eating, the, eating the fire fest menu with the struggle cheese sandwiches and the half baby lettuce salad right no i i definitely agree jar rule really came and showed out on that versus and you know i think that a lot of people said that it should have been him and 50 cent but they have some <laughs> Fifty Cent doesn't he doesn't play fair and he still trolls Ja Rule to this day. But I, I think what I loved about it is you could tell that Ja Rule and Fat Joe they like they was aside from all the drama that came out of it, you could tell that they were having fun. Um, you could tell that the, the ladies that came out were having fun. They looked nice. They, you know, from Ashanti she looked gorgeous as usual. She's a beautiful woman. Um, you know, little Mo Vita. Uh, Remy Ma, like they all look beautiful. They all did their thing. And I think that's what it should be. It's like a, a family barbecue. That's what Versus makes me feel like. It's like going to a family cookout. Like that's how I feel, you know? Yeah, except for the locks and dipset one because I thought somebody was going to go get the heater. And I'm not talking about the AC or the warming <laughs> heating unit either. Oh, yeah, I definitely think that they should have reached out but i mean it is what it is i i, I think you know but i felt it should have been it was like jadakiss versus dipset because jadakiss just washed all the dipset washed all the dipset people don't understand that jadakiss there's not too many mcs that can go against them there's not too many and he he he, he made a living out of battle rap um and we we knew that that was going to happen um because dipset they're more of a of a group that comes out with some great songs, but I never got like MC like I'm gonna destroy you on the mic type of 
you know, I, I, I respect what they did for the culture and the music that they make, but Jada Kiss is on a different level. <laughs> yeah, Jada Kiss, Jada Kiss was on his maximum level five gauge in a fighting game slash pink diamond Pokemon right. that battle. Exactly. Nobody was messing with Jada. He was the final boss. He was the Shao Kahn. <laughs> you weak, <laughs> like, pathetic fool. Right. He threw his hammer and beat you in two seconds. Yeah. Told, <laughs> that told, was him. Told Dipset, your brother's soul is mine. You exactly. will be next. <laughs> exactly. And that, that and he did it. He went down the line. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I definitely hope to see more battles. I hope some of the artists who decided not to, to opt out of doing it to decide to do it because like who, who would have thought that something as simple as you know Swiss Beats and Timberland playing records that they produced on a, on, a, on a live stream back and forth would turn into this in the middle of a pandemic like who would have thought that, that would have turned into this nope it was like, appoint, appointment watching streaming and people watching yeah. it afterwards who posted it on uh, certain channels I'm going I'm not going to dry snitch because like Chadwick uh-huh. Bozeman said, rest in peace. We don't do that here. Right, we don't do that here. <laughs> no, 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 but no, no. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It, it, Go ahead. And I was just going to say, I don't think, I, I just realized how many people were brought together. Like how many people you would see underneath the streams, uh, messaging during, during the lives and all that. Like, oh my goodness, I remember where I was during the song. I remember before, like, you know, it brought us back. Like, especially the artists that, you know, uh, even the Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the Isleys, like, like it brought people back to when they. I was like, I remember I had the first, well, my first Cadillac when I, this record came out. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. you know, it just it's, it just brings it transports us back. Right. Music, that's what music does. Nothing else can do that like music. Right. And then today's price for those ads on verses went all the way up. Like Fat Joe and streams <laughs> and that show money went up. And I also yeah. want to say this real quickly before we close. We mentioned uh JD and Puff and possibly the versus battle of them. But I want to say I think the one person that started it off for JD and Puff to me was Michael Bivens. Because you look at what Michael Bivens did with Biv 10, what he had out with ABC, MC uh-huh. Brains, Boys to Men. And of course, BBD, and was really the first young gun music execs in the business to say, hey, even though I'm in new edition, I want to go ahead, do my own thing, and put out my own acts. And then we saw later on JD mm-hmm. and Puff really took what he started and, and ran with that. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Michael Bivens was one of the first Black artists turned executives that really pushed for, uh, for, you know, owning your, you know, your own brands and, and setting up yourself for success. And he really did do that in, in developing other artists. Um, and he still does that to this day. Like, you know, I, I don't think he gets enough credit. You know, when we talk about New Edition or BBD, he isn't always the first person that people talk about, but he was the backbone when it came to the business of that and i feel like in the past he's been instrumental in getting them all together <laughs> whether mm-hmm. people know that or not and because right. you know no new addition the big thing with them is ego uh, and, that, and that's why even today like they're they're tr- they're trying to get 
um, Ralph and um, Johnny to come back. But a lot of it is money and ego and who did what and who needs to do this. But I, at the end of the day, Michael Bivens is definitely a, a legend and he, he's a smart businessman. He, he helped voice the men get to where they are. Um, and I'm sure that Diddy and JD, oh, I mean, I'm sure that they, they pay the respects that they need to, uh, if, if not, they, they re- realize that he has had a lot of influence over what they've done in their careers. Right, and speaking of new edition, we just had a couple months ago Bobby Brown versus Key Sweat on versus. Mm-hmm. But like I said, we didn't talk all out the size of our yeah. mouths and then some. <laughs> so shout outs before we close, plug your social media and also where folks can find your current project. All right. Um, thank you so much for having me, Jarrell. I really appreciate it. It was awesome being on your uh, podcast. Um, I'm Treshawn and you can follow me um, on all social media platforms, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, it's at J-T-R-A-I-S-H-A-U-N, J-Treshawn, um, and it's Treshawn TV on YouTube. Um, you can listen to my album on all streaming platforms. I have, it's on Tidal, it's on Apple Music, it's on um, Deezer, it's on Spotify, it's on even some streaming services that I've never heard of. Uh, but yeah, you can listen to my music, my album Eclipse, and my first project Kaleidoscope. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much. I'll be here, you'll be here for me soon, and I'll be performing all over the city. All right, so definitely be on the lookout for all that good stuff. You can catch this interview in audio and video form wherever you stream your podcast and also on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. Ladies and gentlemen, give a big thank you, round of applause to Mr. Midwest, Mr. Hoosier, Mr. <laughs> Boilermaker, Mr. Treshawn Johnson. Treshawn, thank you for coming on to the podcast, bro. And you got an open spot anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I'll hold you to that. Thanks, Jarrell. <laughs> yes, sir.